From childhood trauma to battling anxiety, depression, and an eating disorder, to drug addiction and suicide, to successful entrepreneur. This is my story. Welcome to the Inner BS Podcast. We are action takers, rule breakers, and change makers. We rebel against the status quo and pave our own way. We are unapologetic in our claim of wealth, freedom, and pleasure. We are spiritual beings first and human beings second. We are soul-led service providers designing our own future. I'm your host, Jessica Zeinstra. I believe our world needs a revolution. I believe service providers can be the ones who bring it. Santo for this one. Gotta clear, clear the space. You're also opening a LaCroix because I'm gonna need it. I really wanted to launch this entire podcast by giving you insight into my journey. It's ultimately the basis for why I've created this podcast, and I hope that this episode will explain why. This podcast is the inner BS podcast, so the inner bullshit, right? These stories that we tell ourselves that keep us from doing the things that we ultimately want to do, from being the person that we ultimately want to be, the person that we ultimately are, the person that we were born to be. You know, these bullshit stories that keep us from fully expressing ourselves, from fully claiming our desires and living life based on our truth. These are stories that we most of which we adopted really early in life and then experience after experience after experience validated them to a point where they now control our very existence. So in order to fully understand me and the reason why this podcast came to be, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of my journey. And now I've shared bits and pieces of my story on Instagram, but I've never gone this deep or expressed it all together like this. And this certainly isn't everything. I mean, we really don't have that kind of time, but I am going to highlight the pivotal moments in my life that really directed my life and how everything has come together to bring me to where I am today. And my hope in sharing all of this is that you may find some moments that you can relate to. So you know that you're not alone and you know that there is a way out. You can start unraveling and peeling back the layers on some of your stories because you may identify parts of yourself in this. And I want you to deeply take away that there is a light on the other side of the tunnel and that our struggles can actually support our wins. So. You know, when you're going through something major or when your life spins into a different direction, 
At the moment, it's really hard to understand how it will all make sense. It's kind of like looking at one tiny piece of a gigantic puzzle and you're wondering how and where it will all fit. My life has had some pretty big twists and turns that, you know, looking back now, I understand how they all fit into the puzzle. But at the time, they seemed like these really tiny, insignificant pieces, and I just couldn't understand what their purpose was and why I was going through them. You know, I had a lot of victimhood where, you know, I placed myself in into the victim role. and. I promise at some point in this, I'm going to get into a few business successes and failures, but by and large, I really want to give you some context. So we're going to go all the way back, all, all, all the way back to when baby Jess was brought into this world. It was 1984, November 5th, might have been a snowy day, I don't know, setting the stage in a hospital in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I was brought into this world with two very religious parents from a small town. Now, I also want to preface this by saying I love my parents dearly. I love my family dearly. And I fully believe and know, I deeply know that they were doing the best that they could with the information that they had. And they... You, yes, you'll see. Like I, I love my parents. So this, in no way, shape, or form, is me saying anything bad against them. It's simply sharing, giving you context into my life experience. Right? Like this is this is my box of life that has shaped who I am today. So there was a lot of love. And on the surface, everything seemed perfect. My parents were from a really small town in Minnesota, and they left that small town to come to the quote-unquote big city of Minneapolis in search of what they would consider a better life. And I also say, you know, better life in quotes, because what even is a better life, right? But that's what they were in search of. They wanted something different than what they had previously. And I grew up going to church several times a week. My parents took all of their life direction from the church leaders. And this is really important because from a very young age, literally from birth, I started learning to outsource my self-trust, to outsource my sovereignty, to outsource my intuition. You know, they must know better. They must be better because they're a leader in the church specifically a male leader within the church. There was a lot of pressure to fit into a very specific box. There was a lot of control, a lot of, um, like, I couldn't watch the Smurfs because there was witchcraft. And there was a lot of control to shield me and my sisters from the harms of the outside world. And this mentality really ruled my childhood until we moved to Boulder, Colorado when I was 11. And this is when I was introduced to a completely different way of life that actually felt way more aligned with who I truly was. And this is when my rebellious streak started kicking in. And when I tried to, I started trying to break out of this, this mold, this box that I had been put in for the first 11 years of my life. Um, This is also when my anxiety started to bubble over. 
I had anxiety pretty much my entire life, um, which, you know, I learned only in recent years that there were so many signs when I was a child of having really bad anxiety. I would wake up in sweats with night sweats and tears from having these just horrific nightmares. And that in children apparently is a sign of potential anxiety. And so this is when my anxiety started to really bubble over. Interestingly, it's also when my entrepreneurial spirit began. So in the neighborhood that we lived in, I started a little miniature company, quote unquote, if you could even call it that. I would make marshmallows Uh, homemade marshmallows and dip them in things like chocolate and peanut butter and coconut, and I would go sell them door to door. I don't know how pretty or tasty they were, but, you know, neighbors felt bad, and so they started buying them. And I think like most middle schoolers, right, because now I'm entering middle school, you know, looking back, I realize now that most middle schoolers probably felt this way. I never felt like I fit in. I desperately tried to. And, you know, I understand that I think pretty much 99% of middle schoolers all feel this same way. And I remember in seventh grade, my grandfather passed away around my birthday. And I got a new green sweatshirt. I think it was like a day or two after his funeral. And I actually wore that sweatshirt every single day. Like literally, I'm not joking or exaggerating. I had a different shirt underneath the sweatshirt, but every day before I would go to school, I would throw this green sweatshirt on and I would not take it off. Like period. There wasn't a single moment that I would take it off all day. And this was the beginning of me hiding, trying to make myself small and really grasping for these external ways to cope with my emotions that I didn't have the capacity or knowledge to express. My parents were really well-meaning and they were doing the best that they could, but they weren't equipped to handle what was about to happen with me, like what I was going through. And, you know, there were times when our fights would become so intense that they would actually kick me out of the car and leave me on the side of the road, which now looking back i can i can realize that that's where my deep fear of abandonment came from and and i didn't really have anybody that i could turn to you know i'm in in middle school and you know my parents didn't like any of my friends they thought that they were the reason that i was acting out you know we had moved to this new place and I have this new set of friends and they they believed that it was the influence of my friends that was causing me to to act out in these ways and in order to maintain their love and acceptance I cut ties with all of my friends like at the end of 6th grade and this might sound insignificant you know I think at the time my parents were like oh it's just teenage drama oh we're happy that she's no longer going to be with hanging out with these friends now she can hang out with just her church friends um, but for me it was a really pivotal moment that actually led to almost two decades of deep sisterhood wounds that I've now been working to heal in the past few years I went from having 
loads of friends to completely being isolated. And the story that I created from this was that I needed to find friends who also fit this mold of quote unquote perfection, right? Like this mold of perfection that I was trying to fit in to get love and acceptance from my parents that my friends and the people I associated with also needed to be perfect. It was around this time that I also got really into poetry. You know, I started writing poetry. I actually, when I was home this past year going through uh, my parents' storage, they had saved all of my stuff. I found all of my old poetry journals and was going back through some of the stuff that I wrote. And, you know, I had this dream of of always writing a, a poetry book. And a lot of this stuff was really dark. Like it was really dark. And it was around this time that I actually tried to take my own life for the first time, Um, which, you know, probably should have gone to therapy, right? Probably should have done a lot of things after that. But I wasn't given the resources that would have helped, you know, because we were so ingrained in the church, a lot of the messaging that my parents received was you know, bring her to church more, bring her closer to God, um, pray for her, like, here's some Bible verses. And so they weren't really given the resources that they needed either. So I can understand how they were kind of just left to their own devices, and they didn't know what to do, right? So fast forward to high school, riddled with anxiety, riddled with the need to be perfect and constantly seeking external things to be perfect. And I developed an eating disorder because I was trying to be perfect. And in high school was when I discovered alcohol and drugs like Adderall and Molly or MDMA and ecstasy. Um, I also became deeply ingrained in kind of like the raver culture. And at the same time, I was on the school dance team. And externally, I presented that I was extremely happy. Like if you saw me, I was the quintessential happy, blonde, peppy high school girl, like cheerleader girl. That was me. And you would have no idea that on the inside, there was this constant battle to be the person I thought my parents wanted me to be, the person that I thought society wanted me to be, that I thought the cool kids in school wanted me to be, and the person that I wanted to be, right? So this continued to solidify the story of needing to be a certain way to gain love and acceptance and also trying to find friends, the quote unquote popular kids that would fit this mold of perfect that I was still trying so hardly to live into. And looking back, I really, I truly don't believe anybody actually understood the depth at which I was struggling. And I didn't have the capacity or the knowledge or the wherewithal to, I didn't have the ability to put names to my emotions. I didn't even know that I was struggling with emotions, right? Like I didn't know what was going on within me and I didn't have the resources to express what was going on within me and that I needed help. I didn't even know that I needed help. The way that I numbed all of this was to just go out and party, to do more drugs, to go out dancing, to 
you know, drive my car for hours and hours in the middle of the night. Like I actually, at the age of 16, I ran away from home because I was like, I just need to get the fuck out of here. You know, I was trying so hard to break out of this box that I had been put in and I didn't know how to do that. And I was trying everything that I could um, to, to break out and to just kind of be free and be me. And the answer that I was met with was more prayer, more control, more restrictions, which actually had the exact opposite effect of what they were trying to trying to achieve. So when I got into college, it was truly much of the same, right? My parents thought that they could get me back on track with more church influence, so I enrolled in a tiny Lutheran school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which, you know, again, on the surface, this made perfect sense. I had a cousin who went there. There was family that lived in town. It was about an hour away from where my parents grew up. Um, The school was actually quite a bit smaller than my high school, so they were like, oh, more attention. You know, people will be noticing more if things go wrong. Um, And just like, you know, trying to put more control and more restrictions on me in high school and middle school, it had the complete opposite effect. It only pushed me deeper into my addiction and further away from them and further away from me and my truth. After a year, I dropped out. And I moved back to Boulder and I enrolled in school and I moved in with a high school friend from church, which made my parents incredibly happy because the answer in their eyes was just more church. And for me, it was much of the same. On the surface, I presented that everything was good. Everything looked great. I was dancing for a professional uh, sports team. I, you know, was, had a good job. I was working at a salon and using external things to try to fix an internal problem. You know, I was still drinking all the time. I was still partying all the time. I was still using drugs almost every single day, right? And the overarching stories that I started to develop were that I needed to fit into a box to be loved and accepted. And if I didn't fit into this box, I would be abandoned and rejected. And this has since shown up in literally every single relationship from friends to bosses to coworkers to my marriage. I also developed the story that authority figures always knew better than me, specifically male leaders within the church. You know, I I believed that I couldn't trust my own inner wisdom, my own intuition, that other people always knew better than me. Simultaneously, I always had I also had the kind of contradictory belief that I could only rely on myself, that I could never rely on another person for anything ever because they would ultimately just abandon me. Right? So, because I truly believe that everything happens for us, there are some benefits that these stories have given me. I have unshakable resilience. Like I'm a motherfucking cockroach, all right? Like if the world burns down, I'm going to be left standing. I am resilient as fuck. And I also have amazing, intense independence, which I think has really helped me in the business sector, you know, in running after my dreams and in accomplishing 30-year 
dreams in less than eight years, right? Like it's that resilience and independence and stick that has really supported me. So there are benefits to some of these, these stories, these bullshit stories that we create. Okay. So I'm, I'm back in Boulder. I'm going to college. I'm partying all the time. And I meet this guy who would eventually flip my world completely upside down. Our relationship was super toxic, like from the very beginning. We were partying almost every single night. And by now, I'm completely addicted to both cocaine and ecstasy, MDMA, Molly, all of those things. They took me into another world where I felt like I could just finally be free and be myself. And within a handful of years, I went from a college party girl who was dancing for a professional sports team to a full-fledged addict. This is when my story gets pretty dark. I was arrested several times, and I tried to take my own life twice by overdosing. I was 23. And I had seemingly lost everything. I discovered this man who I thought would be mine forever. And I realized that he had been cheating on me for our entire relationship. Some of the women were my friends. My family would barely talk to me. You know, they they could barely even look me in the eye. And I felt abandoned and completely misunderstood by everyone, which only validated my deeply rooted story that eventually people would see the real me and they would leave. So it was at 23 that I entered a treatment facility. It was August of 2008. And after a several day party binge, I was placed into a detox facility. My younger sister picked me up because my parents were completely done dealing with me. Like they they were done. And hmm, I actually remember driving home after she picked me up on the interstate going back to Boulder from Denver. I-25, those of you who know Colorado. And I had the window down and I had the distinct thought. I was like... What if I just jumped out of this window right now? What if I just opened the door and jumped out? We're going 70 miles an hour on the highway. What if I just, wouldn't it be easier for everyone else? And that's a scary place to be. It's a very scary place to be. A couple days later, I had a breakthrough moment. I completely dropped to my knees. And these are moments that I call quantum pivots. It's kind of like it's where your timeline splits and you can clearly see where both paths will lead. I knew I needed to change and I knew that there was something better meant for my life. And I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew that I needed to act fast or I likely wouldn't be alive a year from then. So in this quantum pivot moment, I entered a drug treatment center just outside of Vail, Colorado. And 
for the very first time in my entire life, I was forced to sit with my emotions completely sober, like by myself. And it was fucking rough. It was rough. Ultimately, I would be in treatment twice in the fall of 2008. Uh, The first time I got out, I started partying again. So my parents sent me back. Um, I actually celebrated my 24th birthday while in treatment. Ooh, yes. None of my friends, and I use the term friends loosely, none of them knew where I was. I completely ghosted them. Like I didn't tell them where I was going. I just stopped responding, right? And again, I use the term friends loosely because, you know, I never allowed them to see the real me and we pretty much just partied together and that's what our friendship was based off of. And when I was released the second time, my parents were so beyond done with me that they gave me two options. Option one was to move out of their house and basically like, you know, figure it out on your own, which at the time I had a record and no job. So I basically would have been homeless. Or I can pack up my shit. (laughs) And they didn't say that. They didn't say it this way, right? I'm I'm rephrasing it this way. And move to a sober living house in St. Paul, Minnesota. And in another quantum pivot moment, I chose to go to Minnesota. You know, I, I saw where both paths would lead and I was like, all right, let's let's do this. Let's let's choose different. And so I went to Minnesota. And outside of being in treatment, I really received no emotional support. Like I was basically left to figure things out on my own. I had several arrests on my record. I had no college degree. I had no references since I was pretty much fired from every previous job. So again, I felt abandoned and I used these experiences to validate those stories around abandonment and rejected. You know, I felt like I was just shoved out of sight because I didn't fit into the perfect box. And I remember my family coming up for Thanksgiving and we went to visit my relatives. This was just like a couple of weeks after I moved to Minnesota. And I really didn't feel able to tell anyone where I had been all fall. And so I lied to them about why I moved back to Minnesota. I had so much shame and guilt around not being the perfect daughter for my parents, around not being the perfect sister to my to my sisters. And I desperately, desperately still wanted to fit into that box of perfection. Fast forward a few months, I met my who is now my husband, and I enrolled in cosmetology school. You know, I I didn't know what to do. And I remember I worked at several salons when I was, um, you know, partying and doing my undergrad. And I saw how much money that these stylists were making. And I was like, oh, I could do that, make my own schedule, do my own thing. Um, And so I enrolled in cosmetology school. And I met this man who would ultimately become my catalyst. We were living in a rent-controlled apartment. You know, we had I had moved out of my my sober house. I'd moved in with him, and we decided to move into an apartment that either one of us could afford on our own if something bad were to happen to our relationship. And so 
I was a full-time student. He was working part-time. He was finishing his master's degree. And we collectively were making less than $35,000 a year. I didn't have a driver's license. I couldn't even afford a car, even if I you know, had a license and could drive. Like There were months that we could barely afford groceries, rent, and student loan payments. Like I literally, literally remember having to choose between buying food and rent. Like there were many, many, many weeks and days that I survived on popcorn. And oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you know those those frozen bags of edamame that you pop in the microwave and they steam in the bag? Those were my lifesaver. I would get those and I would eat the entire bag for lunch, right? And then I'd have like popcorn for dinner. That was, and coffee, lots of coffee and cigarettes I was smoking at the time. So that was where we were at. And while in this space, I was presented with the opportunity to assist in opening a new men's grooming salon in Minneapolis. And you know, I had originally wanted to specialize in color because that's where um, in the hair world, all the, the instructors at school were telling us that in order to make the most money, you need to become a colorist and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, yeah, I want to make a ton of money. I'm going to be a colorist. In another quantum pivot moment, these two gentlemen were scouting at school for people that would come and help them open this salon. And they approached me. And it ended up being the best decision for my career. One of them was the founder of American Crew, and one of them was uh, really high up with Aveda. He developed um, all of Aveda men, like their whole curriculum, their whole product line, and was also with American Crew for you know a very long time. Like these, in the men's grooming space and the hair world, they are kind of like really big players. So to have the opportunity to work with these two entrepreneurs who had really built significant names for themselves, again, it was a quantum pivot moment. I saw where it could go, and I took the risk, and I quickly became you know the manager. I started working with them in product development, writing curriculum, and then traveling the country and teaching. You know, not only did we have a salon, we also had the product line and the education company. And I was really given um, kind of not free reign, but kind of free reign to manage and grow the salon, as well as help develop the education programs, the education team. And Looking back, I was so young and didn't know a whole lot and I was so naive, but what I did was I I learned everything that I could. I sat in every single meeting. I went to every single class that they taught. I went to every single photo shoot. I literally put myself in every single situation, every experience that I could. Like I was working 80 hours a week just to soak it all up and I soaked up everything, like literally everything. And I really saw what my future could be if I just worked hard enough and if I was determined to learn everything that I could. So that's exactly what I did. And still at the same time, I was playing into these stories of needing to be everyone's version of perfection and never feeling like I quite lived up to it because Duh, like you're you're trying to fit into a mold that you think somebody wants you to. So it's this like 
this dance that I was trying to do all day long. And I was still very much hiding the real me. I never talked about being sober. And I tried, I really tried to hide it from everyone. Although looking back, I don't really think I hit it very well, but I tried nonetheless. I thought I did a great job of it at the time, but looking back, I most certainly didn't. I was desperately afraid of being fully seen because if they fully saw me, this was the story, that if they fully saw me, they wouldn't accept me because of these darker parts of my my lived experience, which really just led to major incongruencies and ultimately not connecting with people because people can feel those incongruent energies within you, right? Like you can feel it when somebody, when something's just off about a person, it's likely because there's some major incongruencies happening and people really resonate with real. People really resonate with authenticity. So I was in this major phase of transformation denial. That's what I call this phase of my life. I really believed that I could fix my internal pain by using external things like career accomplishments, material things. And if I'm totally honest, I wasn't even in touch with myself enough to recognize I was in so much pain. Like I truly believed that there was something wrong with the way I was wired that made me become addicted to cocaine in the first place. Like I didn't realize that I was using them to free myself from this underlying pain that I felt every single day. It wasn't until several years later when I had racked up over 30000 in credit card debt that I had another quantum pivot moment. I remember waking up and had this huge elephant on my chest. You know, I, I had it pretty much every single day, but this was by far the worst that I had experienced. And I just, I knew that I needed to tell my now husband about this. I was like, I need to tell him, I need to tell him, I need to tell him. And I truly believed that he wasn't going to want to be with me anymore, right? Because of the story about abandonment and rejection. And I, I was like, this is a dark, this is a dark and dirty thing. And you're going to validate my story of, of rejecting me when you learn, when you fully see me and fully see the truth. And, you know, spoiler alert, he didn't. He was like, all right. He was very, very angry and it was an intense time, right? But he was like, all right, we're we're in this together. Like we're gonna, we're gonna come through this. And this is why I say that he's my catalyst, because for the first time, that that story wasn't validated, right? For the first time, I allowed somebody to fully see me in this dirtiness. And he didn't validate that story of rejecting me and abandoning me like I thought that he would. Like I almost, I think I was almost wanting him to validate it because that would allow me to stay in this safe, comfortable zone of living into this pain, right? And because he didn't validate it, it was my catalyst to go even deeper into my true, true, true transformation. So, you know, the average person would just get a therapist, which I did. I started going to therapy and it was amazing. But because I am the person that I am, I wanted to learn every single thing that I could about how we're wired, about how emotions work, about how our subconscious mind works. And so I started digging into neuro-linguistic programming, hypnosis, um, energy calibration, um, like literally neurotransmitters and like all of the things, right? 
I started getting certified in all of these things. And what I thought would happen and which what did happen is that it would, you know, help heal my relationship, that my confidence would grow, that I would start to allow people to see the real me, that this shame that I had about my story, my my lived experience would kind of start to go away. And it all did. And my life fucking skyrocketed. Like opportunities just started landing in my lap. It was like it was like money was raining from the sky, like uh, lightning bolt after lightning bolt of like I literally had these brilliant aligned opportunities just landing in my lap unexpectedly and I started working with some really big names in the hair and beauty industry, one of which brought me on to work with them full time to develop their their online curriculum and to expand their education team and to kind of start the rebranding of their education and rebranding of of their kind of like external the facing the way that they were perceived in the industry and i was able to build their team in 19 different countries i was able to travel all over the world. I spoke on stage in 11 different countries. I've been published in, you know, dozens of magazines in half a dozen countries and on the surface everything was amazing, right? Like I I was at the tippy 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 top or seemingly at the tippy top of my game and had everything that I ever thought that I wanted. While at the same time, I still had this crippling anxiety and I couldn't understand because I was like, but I have all these career accomplishments. I have all these things. Why am I still feeling so anxious? Why am I having these daily panic attacks? And I was on a trip in Russia and the panic attacks had gotten so bad that I was actually missing um, presentations. I was actually like hold up in my room missing events left and right. And I was like, I need to fix this. Like I need to fix it. And as the Scorpio that I am, I was like, I need to burn it all to the ground. Right. Which thankfully I didn't do. And so I came home and I sat with it for a really long time. Like this was in the fall and it wasn't until the spring when I was on another work trip to California and I had booked an additional day on the other end because it was, you know, the winter time in Minnesota and I did not want to get back to snow. I wanted to enjoy the sunshine. And, you know, if you travel for work, I was at a trade show. So I, I was pretty much inside all day and I wanted to spend a day at the beach. And so I had an extra day and I went to Malibu and I was sitting on the beach in Malibu watching the waves roll in. And I, I did a meditation there on the beach and I was like, I just asked the universe, I was like, what will you have me do? What am I supposed to do in this moment? I, I I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get rid of this anxiety. I don't know what to do, but something needs to change. And I was hit with quit your job. And I was like, no, 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 no. I've been, this is like my 30-year goal that I just accomplished in eight years. This is what I've always wanted. You can't take this away from me. Quit your job. No, 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 no. Quit your job. No, no, no. Quit your job. I don't have a plan. What am I supposed to do? Quit your job. And I was like, uh, <laughs> no. So I rejected it. And I remember getting back to my place and I was hit with so much anxiety that I physically couldn't get myself to the airport to board my plane to go home. So I pushed it out a day, pushed it out another day, 
kept having these crippling. And when I say crippling anxiety, I mean, I literally thought I was having a heart attack and almost dialed 911 multiple times. Like, like hands were cramping up, like sweating while freezing cold, like body shaking, heart beating out of my chest, couldn't breathe kind of panic attacks. And this was happening every day. And I just kept pushing my flight out. And finally, I was like, and and every day I was like, what am I supposed to do? How do I make this go away? And every day it was quit your job, quit your job, quit your job. Had no plan. And when I switched my flight from flying home to flying directly to the headquarters of this company that I was working with, the anxiety stopped and I was able to get on the flight and I went to the headquarters and I put in my notice and I really didn't have a plan. I mean, I had a loose plan. I was like, okay, like I can kind of do this, this coaching thing. You know, I'd been coaching on the side for many, many years and you know, I was coaching a bunch of the the educators on our team. And, you know, so I had, I had done this. I was like, yeah, okay, I can turn this into something. But I didn't have a business plan. I didn't really have an idea of how to make it work. I just was like, I got to make this anxiety and these panic attacks stop. And if this is what you're telling me to do, God, source, spirit, universe, then fuck, I will do it. And so I did it. And the panic attacks almost within an instant stopped. And this was in 2019. And I took that year to go super deep. I went super deep and I, you know, started working with a coach. I found a mentor. I still had a therapist. Um, and I booked a one-way ticket to Bali. I went to Bali for several months. I was in Thailand for a bit. And I really went on this journey of coming back home to me, of peeling back every single layer of the onion to find that little bulb on the inside, the bulb that is Jess. And that was my journey of 2019 was figuring out who this essence was, removing all of these bullshit stories and coming back to the core of who I am and who I was sent here to be. And then in 2020, it was taking this, this core essence of me and really leaning into it, you know, facing the fear and doing it anyways, putting myself out there online in ways that I had never done before, speaking my truth, knowing that it would cause some polarization, knowing that I might lose people in my life because of it. And that is not validating any kind of story of abandonment or rejection because the abandonment and rejection that I was doing that I was afraid of before was the fact that I was abandoning and rejecting myself. I wasn't afraid of other people abandoning and rejecting me. I was abandoning and rejecting myself. That's what the core was for me. I wasn't afraid of not being someone else's version of perfect. I was afraid of not being my version of perfect. I had created this perfect version of me and I was afraid that I couldn't live up to it. And so 2020 was really owning all of my flaws, all of my juicy imperfections, every little dark 
and dense nook and cranny of who I am and finding the deliciousness in all of it. And then taking that juicy deliciousness and presenting her to the world. You know, expressing my truth, the real raw version of who I am. And this is where I got the idea for this podcast. It's stripping back those bullshit layers and just allowing yourself to release, unleash, reveal, and just be. Drop the weight that you've been carrying. Release those bullshit stories that are no longer serving you. Show up as your full, authentic, radiant, beautiful, edgy self. Go face to face with your quote unquote, your perceived imperfections, your perceived flaws. Meet them face to face and say, I fucking love you. That has been my reclamation of self. That has been my true transformation. And that is what I'm here to help you do as well. And through Inner Beauty School, that is what we help service providers do. It's building your business from the inside out. From this juicy, juicy layer of your true authentic self. And then building a business based on that. Because all of these external accomplishments don't mean shit. If you are not in love with yourself, if you are not living as your true self, if you are not following what is in most alignment for you. And I can tell you this from experience because I have had some pretty epic external accomplishments, like accomplishments that many people dream of. They spend their whole life dreaming for. I spent my whole life dreaming for and I got them and it didn't mean shit. I still had the crippling anxiety. I still had a relationship that was going down the drain. I still had no friends, right? Because how can you have true friends if they don't know who you are? How can you have an authentic relationship with your partner if they don't see the full you? And when I say full you, I mean those dark, dense, dirty bits. But you have to recognize those first in order for other people to see them. So here's what I've come to know about success and about achieving your dreams. One, if your heart isn't truly in it, it doesn't matter. It will make you happy for a moment. And you can be really fucking happy for a moment, but that moment won't last. It'll be fleeting. You'll spend 10 years to get to this 10-second destination and poof, it'll just be gone. So focus on following your heart, on being in alignment with who you are and being happy and finding the love and the joy in every single moment and loving all of you. And when I say all of you, let me be very clear. I mean all of you. 
Because number two, there are no amount of external things that will ever fix an internal problem. There are no amount of external things that will ever fix an internal problem. Three, own your bullshit. Own your bullshit. Own your flaws. Own your mistakes. When you own your shit, no one can bring you down. No amount of negativity or naysayers will break you because you are so rock solid in all facets of who you are that even when they try to take you down, take you down and point out your mistakes, you you've already owned it. You're like, "Oh yeah, I know that. I see that. I got that." What? You're trying to throw stones, but you know, own your bullshit. And after you've owned your bullshit, number four, allow yourself to be fully seen. Allow people to see you. And number five, be fully committed to your vision. Your vision. Not the vision that you think society wants you to have. Your vision. So if you can resonate with any part of this, I encourage you to send me a DM. It's at Jessica Zeinstra on all social media platforms, but I primarily hang out on Instagram. I also encourage you to leave a rating and a review and to subscribe to this podcast. And know that you are perfectly and wonderfully made. And that means all facets of you are perfectly and wonderfully made. Even the dark, dirty, dense, mucky bits that you don't want anyone to see. That's where I want to play with you, if you'll let me. And those are some of the areas that I want to play within this podcast. It's time for you to ditch your inner bullshit stories and unveil and claim and express your true radiant self. Thank you for listening to the Inner BS Podcast. Send me a DM to let me know how much you loved this episode. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcast. Take a screenshot and then email to hello at innerbeautyschool.co to receive a free Inner BS sticker pack and be entered to win a free membership to the Inner Beauty School campus for a full year. Remember, you are cosmic stardust. You get to flip the tables on the status quo and pave your own way.